Guys, if you've got your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 2. We're continuing our study in the book of Matthew this uh, Advent season. Of course, Advent um, simply means waiting uh, or coming is what it means. It means coming, but it is the season of waiting. I always get those two confused in my head. So it means coming. We celebrate um, Christ's first coming. Um, while we long for, we wait for his second coming. And so uh, what we're meant to experience is what the people of God experienced as they waited and they prayed for and they hoped for a Savior. And we, on this side of the cross, should have those same feelings about Jesus' second coming. We are waiting, we are longing, we are hoping for his return. And in this season, every year, the reason we kind of clear our calendar and we light candles and, and we read scripture together and, and we're even, you know, have an Advent study we're doing together. The reason we do all of that is to stir our heart's affections to be focused on the fact that there is a king that's coming back. And uh, we, we want to be those kind of people. And so guys, this morning, uh, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 2 and uh, see what the Lord has for us as we focus on the pink candle this morning, all right? The pink candle, which is the candle of joy, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you um, so much for allowing us to be here. Um, God, I'm so thankful um, for uh, Ricky and Laverne leading us in our time uh, of Advent reading and, and, uh, and praying over us this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, in, in this church, we recognize that you are our teacher and our guide. That's what the Bible declares, and so and we take a moment every Sunday to pause, to step back, and to invite you to come and take your rightful place in our pulpit, and to teach us all the Word of God from the inside out. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray this morning, exalt Jesus in our presence that we may see Him more clearly than ever before, and that we might know in seeing Him clearly how much we desperately need Him, and that we might give our lives fully and wholly unto Him. In Jesus' name, we pray these things, amen. Amen. All right, guys, I'm in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first 18 verses together. And the word of the Lord says this. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. Now the reason why Jerusalem was disturbed with him is because King Herod was not a good guy. Okay? He was not a good guy. And so when Herod was upset, the people were on edge. And now the entire city of Jerusalem is on edge because Herod, the king, has heard that another king has been born. That's where we are in verse 4. Verse 5 uh, it says, so he assembled, verse 4, so he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and the, the people, and he asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. This is Micah uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 2, I believe. And it says, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned these wise men, and he asked them the exact time that the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. And it led them until they came, and it stopped above the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping. A great morning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. It's an uh, emotional roller coaster of a text, isn't it? You read about the birth of Jesus. You read about the promise of God being fulfilled. You read about the wise men showing up. And they're overjoyed when they see Jesus. They bow down and worship him. And then the kind of the next sentence almost, it seems like you read about the massacre and the murder of every boy in the Bethlehem area that's two and under. And you say, wow, that's, that's, it's a tough text. And some of you go, well, pastor, where's, where's the joy in that? Where, where's the joy in that? And that's kind of what I actually want to talk to you about this morning is, is joy in the midst of suffering, right? Because that's, that's what we see is we see at the birth of Jesus, we see a great joy, even though the world is filled with tragedy, there's still joy, And so I want to talk to you about joy in the midst of suffering this morning. Three things I'll share with you quickly. And here's the first thing I want you to know is that, guys, we can have joy in the midst of suffering because Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, right? We, We can have joy in the midst of suffering because Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. And I do not want you to miss what Matthew is doing. Matthew is intentionally, from the very beginning of chapter 2, laying two kingdoms upon one another. And you're meant to view the coming kingdom of this new promised uh, son, you're meant to view that in light of the current kingdom uh, that you have there with King Herod. And so this is what Matthew says in verse 1 and 2. He says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of ready, King Herod. Now, now he could have said Herod. He doesn't just say Herod. He, he uses the title king because he's going to play it against uh, what, what, what the wise men are seeking for. So he says, the king Herod, wise men from the east, arrive in Jerusalem saying, where is the one who has been born what? King of the Jews. And so immediately there's a conflict of, of kingdoms. And that's what Matthew wants you to see is, is listen, uh, this coming king, and, and, and then he reinforces it when you get to uh, verse 6, when he says this, he says, uh, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And what Matthew wants us to see is that in the fulfilled promise of Jesus' birth, there's a new king. He's, he's a gentle ruler. He's a kind shepherd um, for God's people. He wants you to see that against the backdrop 
of Herod, who was exactly the opposite, who was harsh and ruthless and selfish and power-seeking. You know, Herod cared so much about his position of power that he killed his own children so that they wouldn't take over the throne. Right? And listen to me. I don't want you to miss this because this is where the gospel condemns us. The Bible declares that Herod is a picture of humanity. Right? Literally... That the, the, the kingdom of the world is self-centered and self-seeking and self-promoting and self-protecting. And in Jesus, God finally shows up in the midst of that and says, enough. Enough. I declare to you, a new kingdom has come. And here's what I want you to see, guys. Listen, Jesus didn't come to fix our broken kingdom. Don't miss that. If you think that Jesus came and lived a perfect life that you couldn't and he died in your place just so he could fix your mess, you missed the importance of the gospel. He didn't come to fix our broken kingdom. He came to establish a brand new kingdom with new rules and new relationships and new rewards. He came, that's why he says, behold, I make all things, what? New. (laughs) We can have joy in the midst of suffering and heartache. And listen, this world's full of it, amen? And we can have that because in Jesus, God has done something. Now listen, the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. We're in Advent. It's the season of waiting. We're longing for the coming of Jesus. And why we long for the coming of Jesus now is not so we can have a Savior. We have a Savior. We long for the coming of Jesus so that the kingdom will finally be fulfilled and sin will be done away with. That's what we long for. And that's the promise. In Jesus, when he came, the kingdom was inaugurated. It's begun. We can be citizens of it now. But we also live in a fallen kingdom. And in the fallen kingdom we live in, because we're citizens of both, we face heartache and suffering and hurt and pain. And so Matthew 2 has a lot more to do with you and I than we think. Right? It really, really does. Matthew 2 is where we live in this in-between, where we are citizens of a new kingdom, but we still face all the suffering of the fallen kingdom. You got it? Okay? That's the first reason we can have joy in the midst of suffering. Second reason we can have joy in the midst of suffering, ready? Ah, Is because Jesus came to be our new ruler. He came to be our new ruler. A new kingdom has to have a new king. There's got to be somebody who sits on the throne in power and authority and and rules and reigns. And and, and this is the good news. And and by the way, uh, the fact that there's a new kingdom, that is great relief for me, right? Because I don't know about you, I'm a little tired of the current kingdom. And all of its upheaval and all the political struggles and battle. Like, I'm, I'm so thankful for a new kingdom and new rules and new relationships and new rewards. But even more thankful than a new kingdom, I'm more thankful for a new king who sits on the throne and isn't self-centered and isn't, right? I mean, we have a servant instead of one that's all about self. And, and listen, uh, this is the beauty of, of the gospel. We, we have this new ruler. But here's what it demands. Um, how many of you have, have gotten a copy of this book? Have you gotten a copy of this book yet? This is free to you. Um, by the way, we have them here. They're just hidden. They're doing a Christmas program. They've hidden them. So at the end of the service, if you're visiting with us this morning, we've got a copy of this book for you. Uh, Myself or Catherine will be down here. Franklin will be over here. They're back hidden in the cubbies. And uh, we'll hand these out to you. Uh, But I I love, um, I really enjoyed the reading. And so Wednesday, uh, I was reading December 11th. Paul Tripp writes this about kind of where we are 
and who Jesus is. He says, there is simply no denying it. Life this side of eternity is one big and unending war of kingdoms. Much of our inner turmoil and our interpersonal struggles are the direct result of kingdoms and conflict. Sin causes us to live inwardly directed. Selfish lives instead of lives that are upward worship and outward love that we're created to live. Think about Adam and Eve. They were living in a glorious garden kingdom where every need was supplied and God would come down and commune with them. They had it all except one thing, self-rule. So they chose to step over the king's boundaries, taking authority into their own hands while deluding themselves into thinking that it would be okay. Sadly, the results of that choice still live with us today. Reflect for a moment on how much of your anger in the last several weeks came out of your love for an allegiance for the kingdom of God. Mm, Not much. You and I don't tend to get angry with those around us because they've broken God's law. Rather, we are most regularly angry because the people broke our law. That is the law of whatever makes us happy at that moment. In those angry moments, our problem is not that we are around difficult and disagreeable people. We have a kingdom problem, and blaming them misses the whole reason for the conflict. So if Jesus came to be Savior, he also had to come to be King And I don't mean a monarch over a specific geographic area. Jesus had to rescue us from our bondage to our little kingdoms of one. And he had to usher us into the kingdom of loving authority and forgiving grace. He came to destroy our self-oriented kingdoms and dethrone us as kings over our own lives. In violent grace, he works to destroy every last shred of our allegiance to self-rule. And in rescuing grace, he lovingly sets up his righteous rule in our hearts. In grace, he patiently works with us until we finally understand that truly good rule in our lives is his rule. The baby in the manger came to be king, and he would not settle for anything else. Man. Listen, it's not enough to say that Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. We also have to recognize that in establishing a new kingdom, he came to establish new rule. And friends, that rulership doesn't have to do with Herod, and it doesn't have to do with who the president of the United States will be. That new rulership has to do with the sinfulness of our hearts. And if you want to look at a broken kingdom, then I would encourage you in a few minutes when we're done to walk into one of our bathrooms and stare in the mirror for a bit. Because we are the ones that usher in this broken kingdom. We are the ones that are sitting on the throne, right? We can have joy in the midst of suffering. This is the, the, the great news of the gospel because Jesus came to bring a new kingdom. And listen, he came to be the ruler of that kingdom, which, as I said last week, means that we do not have to be. Amen? This is why Jesus says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and you will find rest. You don't have to be ruler anymore. This is why I've come, which is extremely good news. Last point, guys. Last point, we'll wrap it up. This text shows us that we can have joy in the midst of suffering because Jesus came to lead, guide, and protect us. He came to lead, guide, and protect us. Verse 6 says, 
and, and we can leave that up on the screen there. He came to lead God and protect us. But verse 6 of the text says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. Because of you, because out of you, is going to come a ruler, ready? A ruler who will do what? Who will shepherd my people. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that God will shepherd us? Well, it means a few things. First, it means that he will lead us. He'll lead us. The Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? Now, he's not the good sheep herder. Uh, the good sheep herder gets in the back of his sheep and he yells, Hoo-ah! and he uh, gets on an ATV and screams at him, or now he gets in a helicopter and, and uh, scares the crud out of the sheep and they run out of fear for their lives. And uh, while Jesus could do that, and uh, maybe you've read a, a passage lately or two that kind of made you feel that way, uh, that is, that's not who God is. Right? The, the good shepherd doesn't walk behind his sheep, yelling at them, screaming at them. Trying, it's kind of like the good coach, right? The good coach doesn't have to yell and, and scare uh, his, his, his players. The, the good shepherd, that's not how he works. The, the shepherd walks in front of his sheep. says he knows his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. And he, and he calls them by name. Hey, come and follow me is the invitation of Jesus, Right? Right? Never does Jesus, listen, listen, this is big. Never does Jesus tell you to go anywhere that he won't lead you. You you might want to write that down. Never does Jesus tell you to go anywhere that he won't himself lead you. Isn't Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And you go, Lord, uh uh. No, man, that's scary. Go, go, go and love your neighbor. You don't know my neighbor, Jesus. And Jesus going, and, but, but the promise at the end of, of that command, right? And surely I will, I'll be with you. you. Say, well, Jesus, where are you? Well, he's not just with you. He's not behind you going, well, you knock on the door. He's in front of you. He's already prepared that person's heart to receive, Right? He's gone before you. Never will Jesus ask you to go somewhere that he, he hasn't already walked, that he hasn't already led you. So, so that we start there. Like this, this is the bit, that, what is the good news? There's a new kingdom. Right? This is why I'm at joy. That, that new kingdom has a new ruler. And that new ruler, he, he has a type. He's the good shepherd, which means he's going to lead me into places that I need to go, into places that are good for me. Okay? How many of you have been lost lately? Men, you won't admit it, right? Ladies, how many of you have, your husband has been lost lately? Men? Wouldn't confess it. Like, I, I, uh-huh. Took a, he said, and he said I, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to get us there, right? I mean, look at the sun. Can't you tell? We're going in the right way. Well, yeah, you were going in the right way. And then the road went this way. Like, we're not going east anymore, dear. I can tell. We are prone to heading in the wrong direction. That's a beautiful thing. Jesus has come to lead us, okay? So we start there. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd leads his sheep, okay? And by the way, we need leading, right? Uh, because we are sheep, and sheep are um, probably the dumbest animals on the face of the planet, okay? I mean, I mean, they really are. Uh, my favorite story to share is the, the story of the, the AP News years ago that some shepherds sat down, and they had all of the sheep from the city, and they're, they're sitting by a cliff for breakfast, and one of the sheep wanders off and jumps off the cliff, <laughs> dies, and every other sheep did the same thing. 
dove off the same cliff. So many sheep dove off the cliff that by the end, the ones that dove off at the end actually survived because there was such a big pile, and this says it in the news, such a big billowy pile, soft pile of, of dead sheep that when they hit it, they could roll off and survive. And that's you. And that's me. I see people do the wrong thing. I go, man, those are, that's dumb. And then you know what I do? Meh. <laughs> huh? Gosh. That's us. That's what the Bible declares. So, so we need a leader. All right? We need a leader so that we don't walk into harm's way, so that we don't head places we're not supposed to head. So we need a leader. Not only do we need a leader, we need a guide. This is where our language kind of lets us down. See, we think in the English language that a leader and a guide are the same thing, but they're not. See, a guide is a leader, but they're also way more than that. A guide is a leader that leads you, as they lead you, they teach you about all the things that they know about the path that they're walking or the path that they're leading, right? So a guide doesn't just lead you. They share with you information along the journey. And what did Jesus come to do? He came, that's what a shepherd does, he's, he's a guy. So he comes, and he comes to tell us about, about the trail that he knows, right? That's why the scripture calls Jesus a trailblazer in some translation. So Jesus comes to share with us all of the great truths that he knows about God. In fact, that's why when you study the Gospels, I looked it up, this, I was just inquiring, I was like, how many times did Jesus use the phrase, my father, instructionally? And the answer is in the New Testament, over 50. Over 50 times, Jesus is going, yeah, well, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, right? Or if you've seen me, you've seen my Father, right? My, I've come to do my Father's will. What you see me doing, my Father is doing. Over and over and over, Jesus is going, listen, I want you to not worship a God that you don't know. I don't want you just to be stuck in rituals where you do things, but you don't know the heart of the command behind it, I want you to see what God looks like. I know the Father. Wow. And that's why we can have joy. Right? Because not only does Jesus walk in front of us, not only does he lead us and and direct us, but as he does along the journey of life, he shows us the heart of God. And we get to learn what he knows about God. And so when we read the Bible and the Holy Spirit begins to stir, like our hearts burn with passion. We go, oh yeah, this is good. Man, you read a text for the first time and you see it and you see Jesus and you're like, I never even saw Jesus in the book of Micah. It's awesome. Our hearts are set on fire. And so Jesus comes to God, but he doesn't just come to lead us and to guide us, a shepherd also protects, right? What does he protect us from? Well, he protects us from our wandering. Amen? Okay. Protects us from our wandering. That's what scripture says. Ah, got it for you somewhere up here, right? Jesus is talking to folks. He says, what man among you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one? 
until he finds it. This is the very mission of Jesus, by the way. Luke 19.10 says that he's come to seek and save those that are lost. Right? Jesus loves you so much that he goes into all the stupid places that you find yourself and picks you up and carries you home. Amen? Beautiful, righteous, clean, holy Jesus, robes of white, goes out into every nasty, muddy pit that you find yourself in, climbs down in it, picks you up, and carries you home. Like That's the gospel. That's our God, right? I don't know. I, I mean... When's the last time you blew it and in the midst of asking for forgiveness, you realize where you made Jesus go to bring you back? It sucks, doesn't it? Gosh. I hate, I, I hate it and I love it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I hate that he has to go there and I'm so thankful that he does. But he, he doesn't just save us from our wandering, Right? That's not what protection means. It's not just that he seeks us out in danger. Protection is also that he knows us well. John 10, 14 says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. What does that have to do with protection? Well, it has to do with protection. There's a lot of times in the world that you feel unknown or you feel like you're hiding things from God. The good shepherd, uh, Bedouin shepherds, at night when they're out in the fields and there were prey animals around, and when Jesus says, I'm the gate, uh, what they would do is they would take any rocks they could find and they would build a sheep pen, just pile it up. You can see these if you ever go out, usually about this high, just piled rocks. And uh, of course, they didn't have a door. There was no way that they could protect the animals, but they would call the sheep at night. Usually, uh, it would, you'd kind of be out and you realize, hey, I'm not going to get them back in time. I'm going to do this. So darkness falls. And so they would call the sheep uh, by name and, you know, hey, Mary, come here. Come on. Come on, Jason. You're the dumb one uh, with the limp. That's you. And, uh, when they, and at, at night, it, was so, it could be so dark. Shepherds knew their sheep so well that they could just feel them. And they know, oh yeah, that's the one I called, right? And then they would get them in the gate, or in in the hole of the pen, and then they would lay themselves across the opening. And that's when Jesus says, hey, I'm the gate, I'm the door, right? I'm your protector. Like, if if the enemy wants you, he's coming through me. Whew. (laughs) You know why you can have joy? You can have joy because even though you think you're the one taking the licks, brother, there is a gate that you have forgotten and he stands in the way and has taken the punishment, the best blow that the enemy can deal and he has taken it upon himself for your sake. He's our gate, man. And one day we'll know. Man, one day we will see all that Christ has truly endured for us and we will be blown away at the grace of God. That's what Christmas is about, man. This baby came to do these things for us. He's come to protect us, right? Part of that protection is knowing us. And lastly, that protection is laying down his life. What extent will Jesus go for you? Well, the Bible teaches us, John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which is exactly what Christ is done for our sake. That is what we have in Jesus. And that's why we can have joy even 
in the midst of our suffering. So there's uh, really only a couple of application points, I think. Um, looking at my audience, I'm guessing most of you don't listen to sports radio, okay? Uh, if you did, some other uh, talk radio shows, uh, somebody will call in and they'll say, I'm a first-time caller, I'm a long-time listener, right? First-time, long-time. So I'm going I'm to talk to you along the first-time, long-time lines this morning. Whether, whether it's first-time or you're a long-time follower of Christ, uh, this first application point is true. We have to get off the throne. Whether it's the first time you're here and you've never heard the gospel, you've never heard that you were the one that was sitting on the throne, you are. But whether you're a long-time follower, this is me this morning, 6.20 a.m. as I read through my notes and I was, I was broken. I was like, Lord, forgive me. Because it is so stinking easy to take the reins. Right? It is so easy in life, guys, to just start living in the flesh, to think that you've got it, to think that, you know what, man, I'm following Jesus, everything's okay. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, he is not the one that's calling the shots, it's me. And I'm acting like he is, but that's, man, it's, I'm a phony. I'm a fraud, right? And, and, and I, I just, I, I, I want to confront you a little bit this morning. Guys, is, is Jesus really, is he on the throne? Or, or, is, or is, you know what I'm saying? Like, or is it your throne room? And you've just painted it with decoration, like with Jesus' name and wrapping paper, right? I mean, I mean what, what, what are we doing that, that really testifies, and I'm just, I'm gonna say, this is how, and by the way, this is why Jesus came, because we are so wayward to do, we just keep crawling back up on the chair. And so, I think it was John Piper said, man, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, and we need to do it daily. Daily, I have to remind myself, I have a tendency to sit in God's chair, right? And so if you're here this morning, and, and maybe for the first time you realize it, I want to tell you that there's the good news for you is that first, if you have never asked Jesus to take his rightful place, I'll give you a second to do that in a minute. But for those of you that did that a long time ago, could I just challenge you with these? Would you just make sure this morning that you haven't accidentally climbed back up in that place? Because it is so, so easy. All right? So that brings you to kind of the second point is, is we have to get out of his place and we have to ask him to take his rightful place. Okay, first time, long time, doesn't matter. Lord, King Jesus, man, I, so, so if, if you've never done it, it looks something like that. Jesus, I understand today that you have come um, and, and that you are the king, which means that you, you, you're the ruler and you want to rule over me, and I, I've never let that happen. Um, Jesus, forgive me of, of taking your rightful place, of sitting on the throne of my life, and, and please come and take your rightful place. That, that's like a first time. Long time guys would be like, Lord, I am so sorry. As I look in the mirror this morning, as I, as I kind of stare into my, the depths of my own heart, I realize somewhere along the way I started calling the shots again. And I just want to repent. I want to get out of your chair. And I, will you please just come to every aspect. And then you start naming them, and that's where it gets ugly. I, I won't hand out a microphone this morning, but you know what it, like it, it just, and, and Lord, here's all the areas that I've tried to take back from you, and I just need you to come and take your rightful place in my life again, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of prayer this morning, just kind of right where we are, just quietly. It's going to be eerily quiet in here. There's no music this morning, just ear, like eerie quietness. And I just want you to go before the Lord and say, God, here I am. 
And, and so listen, by the way, if you're killing it and Jesus is on the throne right now, and he's like, like then this, this is just a time of, of love and worship and adoration. Oh, King Jesus, right? But if, if you kind of got confronted with something this morning, you go, oh, I'm off a little bit. Then this is just we, 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 this is a time of confession and repentance, okay? So we're going to ask you right where you are, would you just bow your head and just do a little bit of business with Jesus? Ask him to take his rightful place in your life. pray together. Oh, how joyous it is, oh God, the good news that a king has come. And he's come not to fix just all the brokenness of this world, but he's come to set all things new, to bring a new kingdom where there's new life and there's new rules and there's a new relationship that we, we're, we're, we're alive now and we're now your kids and, and we're heirs to this kingdom, and, and there's new reward um, for being your king, uh, for, for being your kids and you being our king. Um, and, and, and so we're so thankful um, for you coming, Jesus. It's what we celebrate. But Jesus, we also confess to you this morning, we are so prone to wander. We are so prone to elevate ourselves. And so this morning, the best way we know how collectively as a church we ask, would you forgive us for the sin of putting ourselves in your place? And would you come and reign in our hearts as our one and only king forever? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.